Today, we are wrapping up this series, Gentle and Lowly. This is week number 10. And man, I hope this, this book, this sermon series, this study has been helpful and fruitful for you. It has been really helpful for me as I've read through the book and as I've prepared these sermons and uh, just studied what the Word of God says about Christ's heart for us. And I hope that this, what you've learned and maybe discovered or maybe been reminded of in this series will be something that sticks with you for the rest of your life, that when you think of Christ, you won't just think of what he has done for you, not just the what, but you'll think about the why. That's because of his heart for you that is tender and compassionate. It's gentle and lowly as we've seen in the scripture. So this morning, we're gonna finish up with one final thought. Uh, We're gonna talk about the duration of his love for us. And so the title for this morning is To the End. To the End. And we're gonna look at John chapter 13, verse number one. So before we go there, let me just set the context for what's going on in John chapter 13. God has come to us in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He has grown from a child to a man. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. And for three years, he invested his life into 12 men, 12 disciples. And in John chapter 13, um, he is realizing that it's time. It's time to make his march toward the cross. And so what we see in this passage in John 13, and verse number one in particular, is this launches us into the passion narrative. So when we see Jesus, who is arraigned and then later crucified as he goes to the cross, this begins that whole portion of Scripture, all right? So John chapter 13, we're going to look at verse number one. I invite you to, to look at it with me. John 13, verse number one, and it says this in John 13, verse one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And we're going to focus on that last part. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so what we're going to consider this morning is is the activity of his love, the object of his love, and then the duration of his love. So here it says, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. So I want to consider that, that idea of, of love, love, the activity of his love. You know, one of, the, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is, um, is when young couples are getting married to go through premarital counseling. And we're just trying to prepare couples for what's ahead and being married and living together and doing life together. And one of the very first things that we talk about, which is important, is love. What is love all about? Because what we recognize in living in the world is that the world's definition of love doesn't always sync up with what God says love is all about. And if if I were to summarize it, I would say it this way, and this is really simple, and this would maybe summarize 1 Corinthians 13, is that love isn't spoken, love is shown. Love isn't spoken, love is shown. So in other words, it's not just words that fall out of your mouth, it's actually activity, it's it's effort that is put forth. Love is shown. So let me give you an an example. at the, the, the wedding altar, the wedding day, it's, it's easy to say publicly, I do. 
It's much more difficult, those of you that are married can attest to this, it's much more difficult to privately, day in and day out, to actually do and do and do, right? It's easy to say I do, but love is not shown in saying it. Love is, is in, in showing it and manifesting it in life. And what we see in John chapter 13 and all through the New Testament and all through the Bible is that God doesn't just say, I love you. He shows his love to us tangibly in the flesh. And what we see in John chapter 13, after these words, what we see is Jesus, who is gathered with his disciples, one of the greatest manifestations and demonstrations of his love for his disciples was he washed their feet. One of these activities that, that the lowest servant would typically perform. And here is Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who is bowing and, and, and taking up the servant towel to serve and show his heart of love for his disciples. And so he, he demonstrates this in John 13 as you walk through the next few chapters in John chapter, uh, in the Gospel of John. What you see is, is he makes his way to the cross. And Jesus shows this ultimate demonstration of love and that he endures the wrath, the full wrath of God. And let me just remind you that every sin that you have ever committed and every sin you will ever commit, every sin I've ever committed, every sin I ever will commit was put on Jesus in that moment at the cross and he endured the full wrath of God that every single one of our sins deserves. And he endured that. Why? Because of his love for you. And in that moment when it says that everything turned dark and we would say that the father had, couldn't look upon his son, that in that moment that Jesus endured being forsaken by his father, who, whom he lived for, he loved, and he was forsaken by his father. Why? He did this because he loves us. And so his love wasn't just spoken, it was, it was shown. He gave everything so that you and I could be sons and daughters, children of God. And I want you to see in John chapter 1, all the way back in the first chapter of this gospel, it says this in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, and we sang about it in, in that first song, God so loved the world, and whoever believes in him would have everlasting or eternal life. John 1 says, all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, sons and daughters of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so Jesus gave all that he had so that you and I could know the Father, so we could be sons and daughters. This is the activity of his love. He loved his own. So let's talk about his own, the object of his love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, is what we see in John 13, 1. So who are his own? This is an important question. Who is it that he loves until the end? So this is a phrase, his own, that is used throughout the gospel of John, and it refers to Jesus' true disciples, those who followed Jesus. We might say that they are the children, the sons and daughters of God, those who have 
believed in him, who have received him and become his own. So children, children of God are born spiritually by faith. Here's something you've heard me say before, but when we think of children of God, sometimes we equate that to every living human being. But here's the reality. Not every living human being is a child of God. Every living, living human being is a creation of God, created in the image of God. But a child of God must be born spiritually by faith in Christ. And so it requires believing, as we saw in John chapter 1. So some of the terms. Think about some of the terms that we in the church or in Christianity use to refer to this idea of becoming a child of God. One of the terms that we use is born again, right? We've used that word. And what does that mean? It means we were born first physically, and yet we need a second birth, a spiritual birth, to enter into the family of God. And that comes by faith, by believing. Another term that is used to talk about becoming a child of God is the word saved. That's one of these terms that we throw around a lot in the church. But if you have no church background, you may get, what does it mean to be saved? what it means ultimately is that we're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. And so when we, when we use that phrase, that's typically what we mean. We're saved from wrath. We're saved from hell. We're saved from an eternity separated from God. And usually when we use that term saved, we would say, here's when I got saved. Here was when I was saved. And what that means is there was a turning point in my life where I turned from going my own way and I turned towards the Lord. I repented of my sins and I turned to him. I called upon him as my Lord and Savior. But you know, one of the things I've learned as I've been a Christian for a lot of years now, I've been a pastor for a lot of years. One of the things I've noticed um, with folks and everybody's got a different journey of faith. Some of you, if you would say that you're a son or daughter of God, you're a Christian, you would be able to point back to a specific point in time kind of like your, your physical birthday. This is, the, this is my spiritual birthday, the day that I put my faith in Jesus. So, you know, July 15th, 1992, that's my, my spiritual birthday. And so some of you would be able to point to a moment where you go, man, everything changed at this point. This is when I, maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe you walked down an aisle, maybe you made a conscious decision to turn towards God and you would say, this is my, this is when I was born again. This is when I got saved. What I've realized is that a lot of people don't have that. You don't have a specific point that you would, um, you would look to. So another thing that I love doing here is, is partnership. Partnership is when somebody wants to be a part of or be a, a member of friendship, we go through a little, a little process. And it's a very simple process, but part one is to attend a partnership class which just means, hey, I want to come learn. I want to know what this is all about. Um, before I commit to this, I can ask questions, figure this out. But if somebody wants to join friendship, um, I love the second part of this, which is just to meet with a pastor. Uh, and so I love to meet with people and just hear everybody's story. Everybody that comes into our church that wants to be a part of this church, I want to know your story and I want to know how you came to faith in Jesus. And so one of the things I do is I just, I listen to see like, is there a lifestyle where you're, you're following after God, where um, he directs you and you consciously, you follow him with your life? And some people point to a, a specific day and time and say, this is when I got saved. Some people don't. And if I'm being honest, as a pastor, there's a few years ago where that would have bothered me. And I would have said, okay, 
well, you need to have a, there needs to be a point where you were born and you could point to this as when you put your faith in Christ. And that would have messed me all up. Um, but a few years ago, uh, I read something from a pastor and an author uh, that I follow, J.D. Greer, and he said something that really helped me in my understanding. Um, he used the example of a chair. So a lot of times when we talk about faith, um, it's hard to like put that into like action into meaning. Like what does faith mean? And so we use the example of a chair, that when you sit in the chair, you're having faith that that chair is going to hold you up, that it's going to bear the weight of your body. And so we express faith in a chair. And so that's a simple illustration. So J.D. Greer, Greer used this example of, um, of being saved or being born again and coming to faith in Christ. And he, he, he mentioned it this way. Let me, let me actually use that as an example. So when y'all came in this morning, y'all are obviously seated on your backside and you had to get from the door to your chair and there's this motion of sitting. How many of y'all remember like the moment that you sat down? I mean, some of you are like, yeah, I remember. I remember coming in who I was talking to and I sat. Some of you are like, I don't know. I just ended up here and here I am. All right, here, here's, here's the illustration. It doesn't matter if you remember the moment that you sat down. What, mem- what matters most is the fact that you are currently, right now, seated. Does that make sense? And so when it comes to our relationship with Christ, here's the important question to answer. Not do you remember a specific moment. If you do, that's great. Here's the most important question. Are you trusting in Christ right now? Are you seated? Are you rested, seated in Christ? Not trusting anything else to save you from your sins, not trusting in anything else to earn the love of God, but you're seated right now. Because here's what happens is, and we even did this with our kids. Hey, mark down this date when you've prayed to receive Jesus. Mark it in your Bible because we want to come back to this point. But here's the thing is is sometimes we remember a, a point where we maybe put our faith in Jesus But then we begin to trust in that moment when we prayed or that moment when we came down an aisle or that moment when we kneeled rather than trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And so in the midst of a partnership meeting, sometimes I'm listening and I'm not hearing anybody say, hey, here's when I came to Jesus. I'm listening to hear, are they following Jesus? And I want to ask the question, here's the question. Do you trust in Christ for your salvation? Do you trust Christ now, I really don't care if you remember a specific moment, um, because honestly, July 15th, 1992 is when I would point to. I don't know if I really had a clue what was going on on July 15th, 1992, but that began my journey. And am I trusting in Christ now? Absolutely. And so what matters most is not the moment when you were seated. Are you sitting right now? Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? And that's why he came. That is why he came. And those who put their faith in Jesus, those who believe, become a son or a daughter. You become a child of God. You become his own. So let me, let me give you the bad news. Because if you would answer that question, are you trusting in Christ now? If you would say no to that, listen, I got to give you some truth. And y'all know that I am not a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, but how much would I have to hate you and hate your soul not to tell you the truth? If you are not one of his own, then Jesus is, is a fearful judge. 
because he is going to return and he is going to, he is going to unleash his wrath on those who do not belong to him. And I want to read this to you. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but this, this all comes out of the heart of Christ for us. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10, it says this, that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, when Jesus returns from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that he took your sin upon himself, he died and he rose again to give you freedom and forgiveness of your sins. How do you obey the gospel? You just believe. Jesus, when he comes back in flaming fire, Inflicting, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. And you go, so he's coming in flaming fire to take vengeance and and those who don't know him are going to suffer eternal destruction. Like, how, does, how is this the heart of, of God? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that the reason that he hasn't come back yet is because of his love for us. His long-suffering, patient heart that he wants every single man, every single woman, every single child to come to faith in him. And because of his heart for us, he is holding off, hoping and waiting and trying to draw everyone to himself because that is his desire. It's not to bring his wrath, but that we would experience his love. He loved his own. We are, if you are son or daughter of God, you are the object of his love. And again, if you would answer no, that you're not trusting in Christ right now, y'all, you can change that this morning. All you have to do is believe in Jesus, who he is and what he has done for you. And you can be seated as a son or daughter of God. You can be the object of his love. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And this is this last phrase I want us to consider. To the end. This is the duration of his love. And we've talked about this over and over throughout the weeks. His steadfast love that doesn't end, that doesn't give up. It's not dependent on our, our goodness or our beauty. It's dependent on him and his goodness he loves his own to the end. And if you are a son or a daughter of God, you are the object of his love. And the duration of his love is that he will love you to the end. He will love you to the end. In other words, you, your future is secure. It's secure. Another way that we would phrase this, different words and phrases that we would use for this. Maybe you've heard some of these, but I don't want to take this for granted because some don't know these, these terms or understand what this means. We talk about eternal security, or sometimes we talk about once saved, always saved. I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, or another phrase is the perseverance of the saints. And, and all of these phrases kind of 
point to this, this idea that once we become a son or daughter of God, we're in the family and there's nothing that we can do to lose that, that our, our future is secure. Let me say it another way. You didn't earn it. You can't keep it. You won't lose it. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have become a son or daughter of God. You didn't earn it. There was nothing that you did to earn it. In fact, Romans 6.23 says the only thing that we have earned is death, is separation from God because the wages of our sin, what we have earned is death. And so you didn't earn it. That's why they call it grace because he and his goodness came to us to make a way for us to know him. You didn't earn it because you didn't earn it. There's nothing that you can do to keep it and there's nothing you can do to lose it because you didn't earn it in the first place. It was the grace of God. And the grace that saves you is the grace that will keep you. He loves his own to the end. If you were born into his family, you cannot be unborn. You are his. Let me read you a couple passages. John chapter 10 Verses 27 through 30, Jesus says this, My sheep, he's speaking about his own, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They don't earn it. They don't deserve it. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the Father are one. He says, once you're in my hand, once you have put your faith in me, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Oh, and by the way, in the Father, you're in his hand as well. Nothing can pull you out of his love. In fact, Romans chapter eight, verses 35 through 39, the apostle Paul asked this powerful question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you are in Christ, you cannot be separated from his love. He will love you to the end. He will love you to the end. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This was pointing backwards towards the way that he loved his disciples, but it was also pointing forwards to the way that he would love his disciples until the end, the, ways, the way that he would love you and me till the end. So how do we live in light of this truth? And maybe you've, you've noticed, I've started just inserting this question into every single sermon because it's important for us to, to not just hear and, and receive the word of God, but man, we need to obey it. We need to live our lives in light of his truth. We need to let it change us. So how do we live in light of this truth that 
Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Well, I want to take us back to the very first passage that we saw 10 weeks ago in the beginning of the study. And it was a statement made by Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. It's an invitation that this really, honestly, this whole series has been all about. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, learn from me, for I am, say it with me, gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus, this invitation, come to me because my heart for you is gentle and lowly. And so listen, the reason we have spent week after week, 10 weeks in this sermon series and 10 weeks trying to consider and understand the heart of Christ for us is not just so that we can know more, so we can be more knowledgeable about the Bible. The whole reason that we wanna see and understand the heart of Christ is so that we will pay attention and obey this, this invitation to simply come to him to come to him. Because you know what keeps us from coming to Christ so often is we are fearful of what he thinks of us or we're fearful or we're ashamed of our sin and we wonder how he will treat us or we, we think, man, if he knew everything, if we opened ourselves up, he wouldn't receive us. And yet the invitation to come to him is because he has a gentle and lowly heart that he doesn't want to crush you or shame you. He wants to forgive you and free you. And so the whole point of this series, y'all, is to understand his heart so that we would, day in and day out, when we're weary and heavy laden, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, that we would bring all of our stuff and we would just simply come to him. Why? Because he is gentle and lowly in heart toward us. Thomas Goodwin, there's a quote in the book. Thomas Goodwin said, he, he that came down from heaven, speaking of Jesus, as himself says in the text, to die for you will meet you more than halfway as the prodigal's father is said to do. Oh, therefore come in unto him. If you knew his heart, you would. If you knew his heart, you would come to him. That is the point of this series, is so that you and I would know his heart. Because if you knew his heart for you, and you wouldn't hesitate, you wouldn't pause, you wouldn't be slow, you would come to him if you knew his heart. And that's the point of of all of this that we've been looking at for 10 weeks. And so how do we come? I want us to look at one last passage. I want to ask you to look at Luke chapter 7. I just want to read through this with you and consider the example of this woman who comes to Jesus because she's an incredible example for us in how we can come to Christ. Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse number 37. It says this, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, that he, speaking of Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, standing behind Jesus at his feet, 
weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, the religious leader who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if this Jesus really were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a what? She's a sinner. If this man was truly a prophet, he would know what a sinner she is. And he wouldn't receive, he, he wouldn't receive her. He wouldn't just let her march into this room and do what she has done if he knew who and what sort of woman that she is. Here's what it says in verse number 40. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, this is the name of the Pharisee. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Go ahead. Verse 41, Jesus tells a story. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, yet you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so I want you to see this scene. This, this woman comes to Jesus. And what is she? What's it say that she is? She's a sinner. She's a sinner. And Jesus is sitting at the table with this religious leader who apparently looks at her very condemning and he looks at himself and is, doesn't understand how much debt he's been forgiven of and he condemns her and yet here she comes and she breaks open this, this alabaster flask of, of ointment. And, and, and the way that she comes, listen y'all, here's what I want us to see in, in this story. The way that she comes to Jesus is the way that you and I ought to come to Jesus. We can come in faith because she came, she, she, listen, she knew who she was, right? She knew she was a what? She was a sinner. She was very aware of her lifestyle and her life choices and who she was. She knew she was a sinner, but she came in faith because she came believing that he could do what? He could forgive her and cleanse her and change her life. And so she came in faith and she came, listen, she came holding nothing back. She came holding on to nothing because she came like full of tears. Like, did you catch that? 
Like she was weeping so much that there was enough tears to cleanse the feet of Jesus. And she didn't care that she looked like a sobbing mess. And she didn't care what her hair looked like as she took her hair and used it to wash his feet that were covered in her tears. She didn't care. She brought it all. She held nothing back. And it says that she brought this alabaster flask of ointment. And we see in another passage in Mark 14, it says that that was a costly substance for her. In fact, it was, it was basically like a year's worth of, of wages. So think of what you make in a year's time. And just spilling that, breaking it open at the feet of Jesus. And this is what she did. And she held absolutely nothing back. And this is how she came to Jesus. When we come to him, which he invites us to do, we can come in faith and we come holding nothing back. But what happens so often with us is we hold back stuff from him. We hold on to our fear. We hold on to apprehension. We hold on to what others might think of us. We hold on to secret sin. We hold on to that thing that we don't think is that big of a deal. And man, he invites us to come and to hold nothing back, to bring everything to hands open, arms outstretched, just to come holding nothing back. Because y'all, this is the only proper response when you understand the heart of Christ for you is that you come with a heart of worship, not holding anything back because he held nothing back for you. That when he came, he gave it all so that you could be freed and forgiven of all of your sin. He held nothing back. And you see the story of this woman who comes and she doesn't care what anybody thinks. She doesn't care about past examples of those who followed Jesus or the things that she might be holding on to or past failures or past sins. Man, she comes holding nothing back. And that's the way that Jesus invites us to come, to bring all of us to him. And I want to read the lyrics to a song that we're going to spend the last few minutes worshiping the Lord. It's a song called Alabaster Heart. And I want to read this to you. Here is, here is what it says. So here it is, my alabaster heart. I'm keeping nothing back from who you are. No hidden treasure veiled by key or lock. You're a lifetime worth of worship. And that's only just the start. Verse two, here it is. My every waking day, the minutes, the hours, the years of endless praise for your worthy far beyond all I could say. There's a lifetime worth of worship just in the nuance of your names. And the chorus says this, let it rise like incense. My whole life of fragrance, every ounce here broken at your feet, every breath and offering, my heart cries, these lungs sing over you, my worthy King of Kings. 
And then in verse three, it turns from my alabaster heart to, to him and his heart for us. There it is, your alabaster cross, giving all you are for all I'm not. I can't believe that's the kind of king that you are. How could I not bring a lifetime worth of worship to you, oh God? And then we sing, all my love, all my love, all my love, you can have it all. All my heart, all my soul, all I own, you can have it all. I'm spilling it all out at your feet, Jesus, because you spilled every ounce of blood and life that you had for me. How could I not offer my life, every breath, Ten weeks ago, I, I kind of shared my heart for you, my hope for this series. I'm gonna quote myself. I said this 10 weeks ago, my, my hope was that you'll dig deep in this series and in this book, that you'll stretch yourself, that you'll challenge yourself, that you'll be open, you'll be vulnerable, that you'll look closely, that you will think deeply. My hope is that this book and this series will change you. That's been my hope for you, that as you see the heart of Christ for you, that there's no way that you could walk away unchanged. And I wanna invite you to stand with me, to stand and bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I wanna offer you an opportunity, an invitation to come to him. That if the Lord has changed you in any way over the last 10 weeks, maybe in a small, very small way, maybe in some significant way, that if he has changed you at all, if he has revealed his heart to you at all, would you come to him and just thank him this morning? The spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving, would you thank him for revealing his heart to you? Would you thank him for his very heart for you? Maybe for you, it's to just take a moment in the quietness of this time to just, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, to just say thank you. Maybe you just wanna to come to this altar and take a knee and say thank you and mark this by coming to the front. Maybe you've been on this journey with someone else or someone's been walking alongside you and you maybe just go grab them and thank the Lord together. I just wanna take a moment to pray and I don't want you to wait to move and to respond. I want you to, to act as the Lord moves you. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your heart for us. It is gentle and lowly. Thank you for your alabaster cross that out of your abundant love for us, you went to the cross and you spilled it all for us. You gave up everything so that we could experience everything that you've created us for. And so Lord, this morning, we just wanna offer ourselves back to you. God, I can't speak for everyone else. I speak for me. And I come in faith, I come holding 
nothing back. I want to give you all that I have, all that I am, all that I own. I want to offer it up to you. I want my life, every single breath to be an offering to you. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment of response, as we worship you, I pray that you would receive our praise. You are so, so worthy of our every breath of our entire being. And so, Lord, would you receive 